Dude, it's like we got a convenience store down there. What all do you have, Kirk? I have... You got Cherry Coke. Coke Zero, which is going to kill me quickly. Cherry Coke. I've got your bigs, Crashed Pepper, which are... They're not as good as David's, but... They're they're in a punch. They don't they don't crack as easily. They're a little more pliable. What do you think? Who uses what what seeds have more dominance in the major league baseball? Probably David. See a lot more David packs. But that's well the Strohs need to eat some more Davids, damn it. What the <laughs> hell happened last night? I watched the game. That's the problem. I haven't been watching Stop much of this doing series. That, I won't. I won't. I'll watch on the uh iPhone it's, today like I've been doing. I was at Kirby Ice House. Friday, start to finish, one of the best games I've ever seen, and failed to rally and get there, get back there last night. So it's 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 on you, yeah. Well, it's half on me and half on you. Uh, You You should have watched it all. You you care more. And I had to kick a friend out of the UT game this weekend, and the Horns actually came back and and end up winning. Not that they're ever really down, but. I told him to leave the stadium because he was screwing it up. Will you t- tell me just how much was the UT payment to the refs to get that call at the end of the game? <laughs> hey, Chuck. I just want to price some, it. There were some really good memes floating around after that. The lost odds, we we don't want to play U of H at U of H <clears throat> because of some ticket. Like, we're guaranteed a certain amount of tickets. U of H stadium's not big enough, blah, blah, blah. We want to play at the Rice Stadium. Thank you, Chuck. Everyone does. We yeah. all want to be at Rice. U of H said no. Actually, the Big 12 commissioner. So we had to play at U of H at U of H. And damn, we barely got out of there. That, was your, had to that pay was your parting gift from the Big 12 commissioner. And yours got hurt, <laughs> which I'm actually okay with. But that's just me. All you yours fans. Wow. Let's take this offline. Wow. Yeah, go to Twitter. People have been watching my Twitter. And they're like, God, you're, you're on a roll against you yours. Your kid's what, 19? So, yeah. <laughs> if you're gonna if you're gonna play in the big leagues, all right, right, Chuck. So, there you go. So, what does this do to CFP? And I guess it depends on Big Twelve championship ultimately. I think Texas is gonna beat OU, but but the fact that they barely got out of U of H should, should make a lot of people question their rankings. But that's just me. So Ohio, Ohio, Ohio State, Penn State was close. So yeah, I mean my. Yes. My favorite quote about this, my former brother-in-law used to always talk about how wonderful the University of Texas was and would denigrate my rice owls. My line was always, please try building a sports program without the taxing authority of the state of Texas behind you, and then you can talk some smack. <clears throat> I, look, look, we love rice, and a good friend of mine that actually played linebacker at rice were tweeting during the UT rice game. He goes, why are we even playing Texas? I'm like, that's a good question. That's a good question. That is very the one of the coolest things I know I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but I'm going to do it again. Is the man on the moon speech that Kennedy gave was actually given at delivered at Rice Stadium, and anyway, the copy of that speech, you know, back in the day they didn't have the iPhone, they didn't have the computers. You got your speech printed out and handed to you, so it's it's typed written. Mm-hmm. It's you know on the typewriter. And his speech, and when he goes into that, why do we climb the highest mountain? Why do we do that? Kennedy actually delivers the line, why does Rice play Texas? And then he delivers the famous line of, we do these things not because they're easy, but because they're hard. 
Well, the coolest thing is he had obviously gotten to campus. He had figured out a joke, and it's handwritten in Kennedy's handwriting really? in pen. Why mm. does Rice play Texas? And you can see that in the Kennedy Museum in Boston. I know there were two big events. I mean, Texas at U of H. We had Astros, but we had a roast we that did. I was supposed to attend, and I actually didn't tell you guys. I left the water running in the second floor sink. Yikes. Long story is my fault, but ooh, sorry, Holly. But when I looked, when I looked on Twitter, someone gave you kudos. Like, is, is it public now? I don't know. We, we, I saw the public. I, I was a little babe. I was I, like, I saw what? the. I saw yeah. I saw yeah. And I didn't respond to it. I wanted to, but I was like, whoa, was this a slip? Let's give I it an hour or two. It's still I don't there. Know. I, I think it's still there, and I, I reposted it. So did the so did the GF see you and your glory and it's like i'm actually gonna stick to this wagon for a while so so she she saw me in my glory at the roast and there was lots of pda at the roast every time i saw her big kiss but she was claiming you yeah she was claiming me i think we'll set it up i want to hear about the roast all right so ydc the youth development center after school literacy program we say it's for houston's fifth ward but that's probably not the best marker it's slightly more north of uh of better that, not be but, third ward because that's where the horns barely escaped so let's no, just keep no, it keep money out of it's there. it's it's a little north of that obviously an economically disadvantaged area uh we've built a big huge building over there we run after school literacy the punchline is if a kid will spend a year in our program they'll increase their reading and comprehension um scores by two to three grade levels. Wow. Done an amazing uh, job over there. And for the last 16 years, we have financed the YDC operation by throwing an annual roast. And we've had the who's who of the energy business sign up to be men of the hour. We had Ken Hirsch, we had Mike Lynn, we had Will Van Lowe, we had Ted Collins. Mm. I mean, Billy Quinn. And this year, the men of the hour were actually four the Rice brothers, Danny Rice, Toby Rice, Derek Rice, and Ryan Rice. And they were gracious enough to be uh, good sports and get beat up on, and we raised just over a million dollars. Wow. The center runs again for another year. That's how we always say it. Quite entertaining. Yes, it was. And the key to the whole event, we yonder. Do you guys know what yonder is? Mm -hmm. Where you put the phone into the the pouch there, lock it up so no one have your phone. So I was up on stage. I took your phone away. I took your phone away. So Did they make a clear version of those? <clears throat> uh, the Astros were playing. You had it on the screen, and then the roast starts. Yeah. If you had a clear thing, you could take pictures, and yeah. that's what you're trying to avoid. What about the Apple Watch? I don't know about that. I mean, can you, you can still tweet and do shit on that, but you can't take pictures. Maybe. I, I hadn't thought that much. Mm. But uh, anyway, you're kind to ask, who's kicking off the big news of the day? Is it you, Mark? Sure. We've, we're back to merger Monday. I think it's um, pretty well known at this point. Chevron and Hess announced a um, – an agreement to merge in an all stock transaction, fifty three billion. What's what's notable and different about this one is really the asset location. Uh, primary mm -hmm. asset in in the Hess portfolio is in its thirty percent interest in the Staybrook block. 
in Guyana offshore, which Exxon operates, about 11 billion barrels of gross resource potential, I think on the order of 400,000 barrels a day of current mm. production, going to well over a million, um, you know, the FPSO um, ramp up in commissioning is, mm. is ongoing, a uh, lot of both exploratory and development upside. So these are very high margin barrels. It diversifies Chevron out of uh, a pretty high degree of concentration in the Permian and also gives them assets uh, both in Guyana and in the Bakken that have an overall CO2 intensity or each respective asset area has a CO2 in intensity in terms of uh, per barrel footprint that is better than Chevron's 2028 overall portfolio targets. Hey, Mark, where is Guyana? Uh, it's just offshore uh, South America on the northwestern side of the continent. Correct. Guyana, Suriname, you've got, uh, you've got the whole Guyana basin that really continues on <clears throat> into um, the territorial waters of, of Suriname. It's almost exactly opposite Ecuador. Why do I bring up Ecuador? Because have you seen the new president, 35-year-old president, who is heir to a banana empire? No. Well, his wife's like a 25-year-old bombshell. Oh, really? And the two of them together, amazing. I'm like, damn. Couldn't have drawn that out myself. Because it worked out really well for Canada, so we'll That's see. That's exactly. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see how this goes for uh, for Ecuador. So, so Guyana, we it's right next to Venezuela. <clears throat> this yeah. is correct. Correct. And I mean, right? I mean, generally acknowledge this is the sexiest, best margin, fastest growing oil province on the planet, right? Yeah, I think it's the best visibility. Uh, one of the one of the bar charts in the. Um, in the presentation that was made this morning, um, I misread 7.30 Eastern for 7.30 Central and missed the webcast, but <clears throat> I was a little surprised to see it was one of those unitless uh, cash flow from operations per BOE broken out by asset area, both uh, Chevron mm -hmm. Legacy, Hess Edition, and then combined, well, I think the only one of which the two had overlapping assets to any meaningful degree is in the Gulf of Mexico, but the cash flow from operations per BOE for Guyana significantly higher than anything else in the combined portfolios. So, so if if Chevron is paying fifty three billion for these assets, and and Exxon's paying paying sixty billion, who's who got a better deal, and why? It's basically same price tag. But are we getting more oil, higher margin oil? What are we getting here? Well, I think you look at the risk profile of Permian versus offshore Guyana, deep water, quite differently. Too early to answer that question. But on balance, if the Chevron hierarchy as presented with um, the investor deck about the the leverage to per unit cash flow is as as is shown directionally, then you've got, you know, much higher cash flow growth leverage in a Guyana type of asset. Um, and just thinking about all the all the downstream, is Guyana heavy oil versus sort of the No, the it's not it's not heavy. It's it's um from to my knowledge, it's kind of mid to upper thirties API. Uh, so light, it's not very light sweet being around forty one. 
It's not it's not Venezuela oil. No. Even though they're close. So Kirk, to answer your question, and Mark, what do you take on this? Is did Exxon get the better deal with Pioneer, Chevron the better deal with Hess? I think it's like saying I bought front row tickets to my chemical romance and Mark bought front row tickets to the World Series. They each got the thing they wanted the most, right? Because what what Pioneer allows Exxon to do in the Permian Basin, four-mile laterals, et cetera, all that does more for them than potentially if Exxon picks up Hess. Fair analogy there, Mark? Yeah, I think, I think Exxon needed some acceleration assets in its portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the runway, if you will, in Permian uh, was shorter than it is for Chevron pre-Pioneer. And so, you know, how that is ultimately treated will be reflected in the, in the, in the, in the multiples, right? And it's, you know, it's certainly too early to tell. Today's a bit noisy because of what's going on with right. crude prices and all these external things like Venezuela, uh, <clears throat> sanctions lifting, et cetera. So um, I think that's a, that's a fair way to think about it. Okay, let me ask a different question then. If you are an employee of Hess, or an employee of Pioneer, which one would you want to be and why? I think we're so people-starved in the industry that I think both sets of employees are going to be be pretty valued. That said, if you're, if you're worried about redundancy, obviously it's kind of Exxon Pioneer, being a Pioneer employee. One of the uh, jokes I may or may not have made at the roast was, I had this running shtick about, you want to know what's going on in the industry? You come to the roast, right? Because I said, look, over there, the Pioneer table, the Exxon table, they're over there drawing straws to see who keeps their jobs. <laughs> yeah, the one thing about the um, the Guyana asset is that uh, Hess didn't operate, uh, Exxon operates the Staybrook block. So you've got now two powerhouse working interest partners, but but Exxon dominates from its its operating position which is a consideration um, in terms of opportunity. I mean, you're not necessarily going to staff a non-operated asset as heavily as you would an operated asset. So what does that mean? So did Darren call Mike saying, hey, welcome to the family or what? Uh Or what? (laughs) (laughs) If that phone call even got made or what? Or what? Yep. Part part of part of what we're seeing, I think, is a is a disappointment. Chevron talked about it a little bit in its prepared comments about how all of these recent transactions, kind of in the midst of and following COVID, have been at about a ten percent mm-hmm. premium relative to whatever benchmark, near term benchmark, trading benchmark you want to choose. And so, if you look at you know, things like forward multiples on earnings and EVD EBITDA, there's there's quite a bit of a an advantage. Um, in Hess trades at premium, uh, both on earnings and EV to EBITDA to um, to Chevron. So you know part of that part of that reaction is you know is is a ten percent premium in the value that's being ascribed in the transaction, uh, plus the synergies that um, are going to uh, be realized. You know, run rate kind of a billion a year after the mm. uh, the close in the first half of next year. That's all a little bit betting on the come, I guess, but uh, clearly they're buying they're buying some uh, some really robust 
per unit cash flow assets with with a good growth profile. I mean, that was Ben Dell's uh, from Kimridge. His deal, gosh, when did he write that paper? He may have even written this paper pre-COVID. It might be five years ago saying, hey, EMP, you need to consolidate, do zero premium mm-hmm. uh, mergers just because we need to get rid of the the stuff. And so it's kind of played out because that's, if there's been a thread that I've seen on CNBC, because I watched some of it this morning, looking on uh, the thread on uh, Twitter, et cetera, there is a vibe of, man, Hess just didn't get enough of a premium for this. Interesting. You know, but we need to dig into this. We, we will. More news will come out, but interesting. I'm, I'm curious why we didn't break this on BDE. We should have seen this coming. So, so I took my shot. Thursday night, let's go back to the roast. Again, my shtick was, you want to learn what's going on in the industry? You come to the roast. And right after I did the Pioneer Exxon joke, I said, hey, look over there. Case Van Hoff, nervously looking over his shoulder at the Chevron table. <laughs> so I, I guess- You broke it. You did I break guess, it. I guess I just guessed wrong one. Right. The uh, It did take uh, 48 hours for Case to uh, text me back and say, I wasn't at the roast but I did hear about the joke. <laughs> <laughs> he, he laughed. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I mean, the, the interesting thing for me, cause one of my largest, my still one of my largest holdings in the Yates family portfolio is, was, uh, when I was at Kane is Kraken, Kraken, mm-hmm. big Bakken player, uh, you know, Kane, uh, backed Kraken, been in it, gosh, 10 years, something like that. So the the Bakken aspect of this fascinates me because Hess has as good or better position in the Bakken than anyone else out there. I mean, and so what happens there? Because truly, if we're talking consolidation and you didn't have egos, shareholders, all that, it would be like, okay, there needs to be one Bakken company. There's no reason to have, it's small enough that one company could mm-hmm. run it the the longer laterals make a lot of sense there, et cetera. So, you know, it's not an insig I think it's a hundred and seventy five thousand, hundred and eighty thousand barrel a day asset for a for a Hess. Is that a fit with Chevron? I don't know. It's a I mean it's a decent <clears throat> add to base production. Yeah. Just so, in terms of magnitude. So willy nilly you can't just sell it, but Long term, does Chevron really care about the Bakken, and does it want to become a consolidator there, like it was in Colorado? I don't know. It's interesting because a, a story came out concurrently with Hess, which actually before Hess, but uh, an article with Chevron's Mike Wurst, CEO, he says, and the quote of the story is, "quote We are not selling a product that is evil." Yeah. So, in priming the market and the story for. An acquisition that's heavy oil and gas. Interesting. Which we'll table it for another time because we've we've explored it ad nauseum. You know, what do the European counterparts in the peer group do? Wow. In competitive response. And um so far, I think the only one to really explicitly sound off on that is YL, who said we want to be as boring as possible. Well, Wiles go is is trying to steer the ship this direction interesting i just want to give y'all a day in the life of mike worth so uh, this is interesting have y'all seen this mike worth day in the life of mike worth ceo of chevron hoover and shaker he gets up at 3 45 wake up and go to the gym for a 90 minute workout 
nice. didn't know he didn't look that tough, but man. 5.15, a cup of coffee. All cardio. No. A cup of coffee, reading half a dozen newspapers, including Digital Wildcatters podcast. First one he mentions. Financial Times, Wall Street Journal, and New York Times. He says, quote, I like to have a context for what's going on in the world, but Digital Wildcatters is the only real news. 6 a.m. shower, head to the office. Wow. And then he has meetings. 6 p.m. back for dinner with my wife. My four children have left at home. Damn, he has four kids at home. Wow, we could tell him what's causing that. 9 p.m. bed and reading. <laughs> 10 o'clock sleep. So that dude is busy. I, I saw him during, um, what's the, uh, Sarah Week, just passing through the Four Seasons lobby. He looks to be in very good health and very fit. So that's, a, that's an interesting insight on what he does. I call it burning it at both ends in a very healthy way. Yeah. All right. So real quick, while we're on merger mania, just because this really rubbed me the wrong way. Um, the <laughs> <laughs> There was nothing wrong with that. Uh, Jeff Colgan, who is a political science and something about climate solutions, whatever, professor at Brown University, wrote, an opinion piece for the New York Times, and he said, and I kid you not, that Exxon buying Pioneer was a threat to democracy. Direct threat. A direct threat In the to headline. democracy. Well, <laughs> I don't... Seriously? I know he's not. Maybe he is working for the independent drillers. How? Because... <laughs> because one of the stories that has come out of, of there's a great article actually in the Wall Street Journal about this, about you know Sheffield and his great legacy. But one of the questions that has come up from the sale of Pioneer to Exxon has been the major independent drillers might face challenges in sustaining independently. So they're concerned maybe this is a potential end of an era dominated by independent frackers. I have an opinion, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that concern. So maybe that wall, that maybe that New York Times uh, hit piece was actually paid for by the Permian Basin. I, I, I don't. I don't somebody out of Odessa. <laughs> I, I don't think there's anybody capable of playing that level of three dimensional chess. Um, you know, it just seems tic tac toe. Right. Mean? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it, it's just increasingly. Um, a catch-all rebuttal to, to anything uh, in terms of particularly what the oil and gas industry does or those who are on the, the wrong side of the climate ledger do in terms of making the business better, you know, responding to market incentives and what their shareholders want them to do. You know, any type of consolidation or concentration of assets power, despite the fact that the global super majors produce far less than 10% of right. oil production is that that's the new kind of catchphrase that is intended to really generate or evoke yeah. a, a pretty emotional response. So everything is a threat to democracy that is fundamentally and uh, I, that is a fundamental embodiment of what a, <laughs> a democratic system allows. Well, and and I said I read the article and his point is kind of the same thing you hear all the time that you know, we as consumers shouldn't worry about the planet and stop using oil and gas. 
big bad Exxon, et cetera, needs to stop investing it. I.e., it's it's the drug dealer's problem, not the uh, consumer right, of the drug. Right. That's, of course, that's the problem. And so I think that was that was his threat, or that was his problem, is that Exxon's <clears throat> just doubling down. They say they're for net zero, but they're investing more in oil and gas. And again, I read the article. I may have fallen asleep in the middle of it, not completed it, but you never hear. Mm. Here's the solution of how we do it so that people don't suffer today. You know, you never hear that. Side so interesting. Enough. Or or we're working on things that that mitigate the problem you're seemingly concerned about, which is things like carbon capture. capture. Yeah, and we're really good at it. Why don't you? Well, throw that's it? not what we meant. Yeah, exactly. So you've got ExxonMobil, you've got Chevron on the on the other side of the pond. Interesting enough, article a letter came out today, penned by over 130 businesses that represent over a trillion dollars of revenue, in 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 lead up to COP28. So companies like IKEA, Volvo, eBay, Heineken, um. AstraZeneca, BT Group, Nestle, Unilever, Bayer, Orsted, of course. Uh, the letter saying that we need to know that they've urged world leaders to agree to a timeline to ditch fossil fuels. That's the um, that's the letter that's coming out of all these companies that actually have really nothing industrial. They don't need per se fossil fuels, even though eBay uses a lot of. Uh, bandwidth on those data centers <laughs> exactly and and heineken uses a lot of energy in in um amsterdam to make beer my volvo wouldn't run right now if exactly now, granted they're saying they're all going electric but you know isn't yeah. this interesting yeah no it's you know what it felt like to me when i read that article that <laughs> article was like hey consumer i know you want to go net zero Government, government, you got to do it because they know the governments aren't going to get their act together. China, no way. China and India aren't going to agree to a carbon tax or anything that could put us on a path to no destroy to their economy. Zero. There's no way yeah. they would do it. Yeah. So that right. that felt like, hey, it's not us. It's it's them. We want <clears throat> this. We're right there with you. Yeah. That's what it felt like to me. Kind of a marketing ploy. Maybe it is. Some 27-year-old intern in the marketing department wrote this letter. Hey, that's great. Let's sign off on it. And and remind us where COP28 will be held. It's in the Middle East, brother. <laughs> <laughs> in a country that, that is one of the largest producers of oil and gas. The... Uh, so again, I'll go back to my roast remarks because I was quite proud of my uh, my seven minutes of shtick, but uh, I uh, I told the whole story about the uh, threat to democracy, and I was like, "Come on, let's be real." Bunch of Dallas oil bros getting rich. It's a boom to hookers and blow. <laughs> I mean, let's, let's no of, I'm glad you brought this up. It's a perfect segue into hookers and blow, Chuck. I I know. We're sad about it, you know, the Strohs, but I, there's another story that I read and I was meant to text you saying, Chuck, I'm sorry, um, bad news, because I know you're interested, but an LA home almost next door to the Playboy Mansion just sold. And uh, I know you had your eye on that house. Uh, so uh, I just want to say, I'm sorry you missed out. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Appreciate that a ton. Yeah. All right, I don't get any of these floating storage numbers and what they mean, but anybody want to crack at it? Uh, just more broadly, you, you had the headline of we're easing 
sanctions on Venezuela. This is a bit of a six-month probationary period. It's announced, I think, over the weekend where the Venezuelans are now free to export and sell for cash wherever they choose with the condition that free and fair elections and the participation of previously banned and some jailed political opponents are allowed by Maduro. Uh, I think there was a meeting in Barbados between the opposition and Maduro's ruling party that stopped short on Maduro's side of agreeing to allow previous opposition candidates to run again. So we'll see. Uh, there's some background unanimous or anonymous comments from State Department officials said um, we'll we'll reimpose sanctions so fast it'll make your head swim if this doesn't the free and fair elections if Maduro doesn't comply was basically the message. Um, the other message coming out was with this easing of sanctions, Venezuela is now open for business. There are a lot of frozen assets there. You know, diminished value by some uh, international, including American players. And so we'll see what does it all mean for the global oil trade. I, I don't think there's a, an immediate displacement of or replacement of the barrels that OPEC has taken off the market. There's been decade plus of neglect and underinvestment. And so, you know, this is this is more, I think, about one, the optics of it will have an effect short-term going into an election year, and two, allowing the Venezuelans to start to generate some cash. They've got a $90 billion uh, foreign debt obligation, which really so, kind of segues into the next story. So, I mean, hmm. y'all saw Monty Python on the Holy Grail, right? Yes. Yeah. Remember when he, comes, <laughs> when he comes up to that castle, King Arthur does, and he's like, I would like you, brave knight, to join me in my quest for the Holy Grail. And the dude's up there. Uh, we already got one. <laughs> it's very nice. You know? And, yeah. And, I mean, just the absurdity of that guy turning around going, I told him we already got one. I mean, Venezuela's negotiating this agreement. Oh, we'll be allowed to sell oil. Well, we, <clears throat> you know, and we have to agree to certain political prisoners being released. Okay. He just said we had to release these idiots, set them free, whatever. God, this is such a windfall to Venezuela. I mean, I can't even believe this is on the table. I mean, this is totally, I need low oil prices going into the election. There is no justification. Absolutely. Bad people. It's not the, it, it's not the cleanest oil. If you wanted dirty, environmentally clean yeah, oil, you don't want Venezuela. I mean, they're heavy stuff. Our refining and, complex does, but yeah. Exxon, Exxon, Our, yeah, Exxon and Shell's refineries on the Gulf Coast love this shit. Yeah, I mean, they're, they they're need set this up. shit. They, they need it. They actually can't. Refine. That's that's what you know. Certainly, Sitgo is built for, and the Gulf Coast refining complex is the highest complexity index in the world, which means heavy sour is where we get, you know, we get the most. Bang for the buck over time. Should we bid for Sitco, by the way, the three of us? There we go. <laughs> Let's think about how we can compete against Bucky's. If we turn it into like a Bucky's competitor. Nice. Strippers. Oh, good grief. There I we mean, go. Perfect. I'm out. 
<laughs> we're all going to get divorced and GF is going to deny you. So that would yeah, be bad. That but, would be bad. So, all right, let's move forward. <laughs> the, uh, but yeah, I can't, I can't figure out what we're, uh, what we're doing with uh, Venezuela. That, that just to me. I'll, I'll take the under. Yeah. I mean, I had a neighbor uh, in Nantucket and he, and we were chatting. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm raising a fund and my partner's a big Venezuelan investor. He's, you know, close to Maduro. I was like, okay, great. Um, when's the fund closing? And it, it never closed and nothing ever happens there ever. How, how many, how many cycles or incidents over the last 50, 60 years of nationalization and confiscation in some cases and liberalization have there been at least two yeah so that's I'm, a good point i'm gonna risk capital mm-hmm. in assets that i have almost forgotten about yeah that may be frozen or otherwise kind of in, in uncertain um ownership state I, i've got i've got other things to do elsewhere I mean, I I feel the same way about Mexico. I, mean, I was going to say, they go still, right to Mexico. They celebrate expropriation day down in Richmond, Texas. I mean, it's like <laughs> yeah, it's like a big deal. And so, yeah, that's so. so Shoes on the other foot with Sitgo, right? And Sitgo is a um, Venezuelan owned through mm-hmm. opposition party controlled and appointed uh, holding companies currently. There was a ruling. They they've been protected from an auction to satisfy arbitration awards to creditors, and there are a number of creditors that now has been removed by virtue of a ruling that um, these holding companies and the entities that own them are de facto or alter ego Venezuelan entities in Venezuelan has debt op- Venezuela has debt obligations that US creditors among them ConocoPhillips and Exxon are suing to get redress mm-hmm. and now the judge has, has said we're going to move forward with an auction um Venezuela will be left with nothing if it plays out like the um uh, the expert observations are saying um uh, this starts sometime early next year if they can't get repayment agreements with their creditors in place before the winning bid is announced, Venezuela probably loses all of of any kind of claim on the thirteen billion dollar asset that is that is set go, which is about eight hundred thousand barrels a day of mostly heavy heavy Ven type crude refining, forty two hundred retail stations plus a big sign at Fenway Park. Um, and so, you know, we'll see how that plays out. But again, it's it's just emblematic of what's going on with the Venezuelan, the intractable Venezuelan debt situation. Um, there's hope that, you know, these sanctions that we just, just talked about before this would somehow satisfy or substitute for um, an auction of Sitgo, whereby Venezuela stands to lose everything. And you know, in the background, people are saying there's kind of slim to slim to none chance of that that being the case. Yeah. So it will get auctioned. Um, you've got a handful of players that are cited: MPC, uh, Motiva, and of course the other big U.S. 
uh, refining owners, Valero, et cetera. So that's, that's another part of the mess that is Venezuela. Every hmm. American student at some point should have to study Venezuela for like six, six weeks straight. That is what socialism does. And it repeats itself. You know, it's just not good. Not good. All righty. Well, are we going to make our way to the uh, prayer vigil for Colin's prostate, given that he's gotten another injury and is, <laughs> has, yeah. le has left us alone? Yes. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Any final thoughts? Or are we all just gearing up for game seven? I mean, I think we need oh. to gear up. This is, this is a we need to pregame. We, we need the cold, cold-bloodedest version of El Reptile, Christian Javier, to show up tonight. Yeah. I will say and that, score more than two runs. I will say this: we, I, I'm happy going into the bottom of the ninth with Altuve at bat representing the winning run. I will be happy to do that. If if we could skip straight to there, I'll I'd rather be chances. up 10-0. But hey, oh, I'll I'd take whatever. The good news but. is, if they get over tonight, and if the Phillies close it out and represent the National League in create what's what will be a rematch of the 2022 World Series. The World Series starts in Philadelphia, which means there's four away games <laughs> in Philly and three home games. There we if go. If it goes seven. We can, we can hope. Love that. it. So, all right, everybody. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, all that good stuff. We'll see you next week.